0: Good morning, good to see you all and to be with you today and to have this opportunity to open up God's word together. Uh, I wanna ask you to join me again briefly in prayer and then we will open God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else can we go but you? We come to you now. We pray that you would open up the storehouses of your treasures to us that you would save, that you would sanctify, that you would encourage, that you would teach us everything we need to know. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, I want to ask you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. We're going to be studying today Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, all the way to the end of chapter 31. A little bit of a long passage today. If you're using the Bible that we provided, I think the passage is on pages 24 and 25. Is that right, Knox? 24 and 25. I think that's it. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own, we want to encourage you to take the copy that we have provided in our seats as a gift from us to you. There's nothing more than we would want you to have of your own than a copy of God's Word. So again, if you don't have a Bible, you can take that copy as a gift from us to you. I want to encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along when I read it for us, and then keep it open in front of you because we're going to be looking at it often in our time together. Our passage this morning is a long one, so you know what? We're going to jump right in. I am going to read the entire thing for us, so please do follow along. There is some really interesting stuff happening in our passage today. I'm going to try to explain it as we... Uh, work our way through this passage, but I think you'll be interested in some of the things that you read this morning. It's going to take about 10 minutes. I timed myself yesterday reading it so that I didn't preach for way too long this morning. It took about 10 minutes for me to read it yesterday. It's probably going to take about 10 minutes for me to read it today. So uh, just be prepared. This is a 10-minute Bible reading in church, but we trust uh, that God's Word is good. He tells us to give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. That's what we're going to do, and we know that there are good things for us in this text. So, Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, all the way through the end of chapter 31. This is God's Word. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given, given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you. And how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages so my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs if found with me shall be counted stolen laban said good let it be as you have said but that day laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth, striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise. Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered him and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he int- intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates. And set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me, and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, "'And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. "'What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. "'I bore the loss of it myself. "'From my hand you required it, "'whether stolen by day or stolen by night. "'There I was. "'By day the heat consumed me, "'and the cold by night, "'and my sleep fled from my eyes. "'These twenty years I have been in your house. "'I served you fourteen years for your two daughters "'and six years for your flock, "'and you have changed my wages ten times.' If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters, or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar sahadutha but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Lots to process there. A lot going on there. We won't be able to give adequate time and attention to everything that transpires in these chapters. So we're going to try to focus in on what I think the main lesson of this passage is for us today. So if you're taking notes, uh, the main lesson for us today from this passage is that God will deliver his people from the deceptive and oppressive forces that oppose us. God will deliver his people from the deceptive and oppressive forces that oppose us. And what we're going to do with the rest of the time is what we've done in weeks past. We're going to walk through the passage. We're going to consider what's there. We're going to have to do this quickly because of how long the passage is. I'm going to try to focus our attention on the key points of the passage. We're going to walk through it quickly. And then I want us to see how it points us forward to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And then we'll consider what it means for us today. Uh, So let's go ahead and take a look at the passage. I think the major contours are pretty straightforward, right? If we're looking at this from like a 30,000-foot view, what you see is Jacob wants to leave Haran to return to his homeland of Canaan. Laban proposes a deal to keep Jacob around, but surprise, surprise, Laban cheats Jacob again. Jacob, though, still prospers, then he secretly flees with his family and livestock. Laban chases and catches him, attempts to reprimand him. Jacob berates Laban in response, and they make a covenant to live at peace. That's what happens here. These are big picture, broad contours. But to help us understand what this passage has to teach us, I want us to focus first on Laban's deceptive and oppressive Ways. I think that's one of the major themes we see throughout this entire passage. Laban's deceptive and oppressive ways. I want you to notice first what Laban says when Jacob tells him he wants to leave. Look at verse 27 of chapter 30 with me. Laban says there, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, we don't know how. Laban learns this by divination, but we do know that God will later forbid the practice of divination among his people, and the regular practice of divination among his people is one of the sins that God names, that they have been committing, that ends up leading to their exile. So the fact that Laban is practicing or participating in divination is not a good look for him. And that look gets worse as we go through the passage. Then look at verse 28. He tells Jacob there, name your wages and I will give it. Uh, Even though it's been like 20 years since Jacob arrived in Haran, you got to wonder if he remembers that this is exactly what Laban said before he deceived Jacob the first time. He told Jacob name your wages. And Jacob said, I want to marry Rachel. And what did Laban do? He deceived him and gave him Leah instead. And here he is telling Jacob to name his wages again. And you wonder if sirens are going off in Jacob's head, like beware, beware, another deception may be coming. And we learn in short order, another deception is coming. Uh, To summarize what's going on here, you have this whole section about flocks, about speckled and spotted sheep and goats and things like that. What you have going on here is Jacob has been in charge of Laban's flocks of sheep and goats. Normally, most sheep are solid white and most goats are solid brown or black. But in every flock, there are anomalies. Some are born striped, spotted, and mottled. These are usually fewer in number and not as strong as the other sheep and goats. So Jacob names his wages. He tells Laban, here's what I want. I want to go through all of your flock, the flock that I have been in charge of, and I want to take all of the anomalies. I want to take all of the striped, spotted, and mottled animals. That way, if you ever come to me and find solid-colored animals in my flock, they'll be counted as stolen because you will have known that I stole them from you. And Laban's like, heck yeah, that's a great deal, right? You get the weak anomalies that are fewer in number and I get to keep all the solid, stronger ones that you have raised for you. That's a great deal, right? But notice what verse 35 tells us happens next laban is not content with that great deal that he's getting verse 35 tells us what happens next that very day laban went through his flocks and removed all of the striped spotted and mottled animals so that there were no animals left for jacob to take Right? That's like if you struck a deal with your uncle that he had to give you all of his belongings at his amazing vacation house. And he agreed to that. The boat, the jet skis, the big screen TV. But before you could go to the house, he pulls up with his U-Haul, puts everything in his U-Haul, and drives off laughing like a madman. Like, you get nothing! That's what Laban is doing here to Jacob. You get nothing! I am going to take all the striped and spotted and modeled. Laban got nothing. Jacob again. He has deceived him again. But the picture of Laban's deceptive and oppressive ways gets worse. Look at chapter 31, verse 4. After God commands Jacob to return to Canaan, Jacob calls Rachel and Leah into the field where they hatch a plot to flee. I think both the fact that they had to secretly that he had to secretly call Rachel and Leah into the field and that they had to hatch a plot to flee in secret paints a clear picture of what it was like living with Laban. His deception and oppression were seemingly constant. Not only that, look at chapter 31, verse 7. Jacob says flat out, he has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. And in case it's not clear from the text, these weren't pay raises. Pay raises. As in, he gave me more, he changed my wages for the better 10 times, right? These are pay cuts. Now look at how Rachel and Leah respond in verse 15. They say that their own father treats them like foreigners and has sold them and devoured their money. This guy is a ruthless deceiver. And after Jacob flees and Laban chases and catches him, the picture doesn't get any better. Laban reprimands Jacob. But as he's reprimanding Jacob, you can't help but think this guy is a delusional narcissist. What have you done that you have tricked me? Trick you? Trick you? You have deceived me numerous times over the last 20 years. You have driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Right, if, I, if I'm Jacob right here, my jaw is dropping. Like, are, you, are you kidding me? Are you saying this right now? What have I done that I would trick you? Let me remind you of how many times you've deceived me. I didn't have to drive your daughters away by the sword because they're running from you just like I am. Not only that, but look at how Jacob describes what it was like when he worked for Laban. Look at verse 38 and following. I have worked for you for 20 years. You've never had any issues with your flocks in the time I care for them. More than that, if any of your animals, you rich and wealthy Laban, if any of your animals were killed by a wild animal or stolen, I bore the loss of it myself. On top of the fact that you were cutting my wages 10 different times. You required me to pay even though I have nothing and you own the whole flock. If it weren't for God, I would have nothing right now. Right? Laban, this is like a foreshadowing of Pharaoh. More bricks, less straw. That's what it was like working for Laban. Jacob appears to have been treated only slightly better than a slave, laboring in the heat of the day, sleeping out in the freezing cold at night, getting pay deductions from his already meager check and seeing his pay decrease over the course of 20 years all while Laban gets rich. Laban is a deceitful and oppressive force in Jacob's life. But God delivers Jacob from Laban's deception and oppression. That's the second major theme we see in this passage. We really can't miss how clearly God sovereignly blesses and protects Jacob throughout the passage. I mean, but you go back to the beginning of the passage. Laban himself says, God has blessed me because of you. Then after Laban deceives Jacob by taking all of the multicolored animals before Jacob can get them, Jacob is left with only solid colored animals now to pasture in Laban's flock. He has no animals of his own. So he hatches an interesting plan, one that I don't understand and can't really give answers to, where he strips the bark off of certain trees and places the stripped branches in front of the animals when they bred at the water trough. And this caused solid-colored animals, and sheep and goats, to produce multicolored animals that became Jacob's very own flock. And that flock grew huge and strong. I have no idea how this plan actually worked. I don't understand anything about sheep breeding. Right? But we don't really need to know why Jacob's plan worked. You just got to look at verse 8 and following of chapter 31. If Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, thinking he wouldn't get any wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Now look at verses eleven and following. An angel tells Jacob in a dream, "You know how your plan to produce striped, spotted, and modelled animals was successfully was successful? Yeah, that was me. This is basically what the angel is sharing with him. That was God's blessing on you. That is why that plan worked. God abundantly blessed Jacob with great wealth, even though Laban tried to deceive him. Not only that, God was clearly with Jacob, protecting him from Laban. Look at chapter thirty-one, verse seven. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. Then what does God do when Laban is chasing Jacob? Comes to him in a dream and he's like, hey, don't touch my boy. Don't even think about it, right? Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Don't say a word to him. Do not do anything to harm him or my judgment will fall on you. Right, you need to think back about how this has already happened in Genesis, right? Remember how God came to Abimelech in a dream and was like, don't even think about touching Sarah? God has been working throughout Genesis to protect his people and fulfill his promises, and he's doing the same here with Jacob. Laban basically says in verse 29, I was planning on harming you, but God came to me in a dream and told me not to. And then how does Jacob close out his speech to Laban? Look at verse 42 of chapter 31. This basically says it all. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. A lot going on in this passage. But what we see centrally going on here is that God delivers Jacob from Laban's deception and oppression. Really, we need to appreciate how this episode here in Jacob's life would have later encouraged the nation of Israel as they also suffered at the hands of a deceitful and oppressive ruler. Right, consider how similar Jacob's experience is to the nation of Israel's experience in Egypt. I mean it's almost like Jacob is a microcosm of Israel. Just as God blessed Laban because of Jacob, so God blessed Egypt because of the nation of Israel. They grew in wealth because of the presence of the nation of Israel among them. Just as Laban took advantage of Jacob treating him like a slave, so Pharaoh took advantage of Israel making them slaves. Just as Laban changed Jacob, Jacob's wages ten times, so Pharaoh changed Israel's wages demanding more bricks with less straw. Just as the more Laban deceived and took advantage of Jacob, the more Jacob seemed to prosper. So the more Pharaoh oppressed and took advantage of Israel, the more they multiplied and spread abroad. Just as Jacob fled, at, at, fled Laban at God's command, so Israel fled Egypt at God's command. Just as Jacob leaves Laban with great riches, so Israel leaves Egypt with great riches. Just as Laban pursued Jacob hotly, so Pharaoh pursued Israel hotly to the Red Sea. Just as God saw Jacob's afflictions and rebuked Laban, so God saw Israel's afflictions and rebuked Pharaoh. The only difference in these two stories is that Laban relented and Pharaoh persisted to his own destruction. The people of Israel when they heard about Jacob's experience with Laban, were to find comfort and encouragement in the fact that if God could deliver Jacob from Laban's deceptive and oppressive schemes, then God could deliver them from Pharaoh's deceptive and oppressive schemes. And he could also deliver them throughout the course of their history through any rulers or nations who attempted to deceive or oppress them. God can deliver his people. God will keep his promises To his people and deliver them, he did. He brought Israel out of Egypt with great riches. He rebuked Pharaoh by destroying his army in the Red Sea. He then led his people through the wilderness by day and night and ultimately brought them to the promised land. And this theme of God delivering his people from the deceptive and oppressive schemes of their enemies continues throughout the Old Testament and finds its fulfillment in the gospel when God delivered his people from the deceptive and oppressive power of Satan through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We even see how Jesus himself experienced the deceptive and oppressive schemes of his enemies, right? His enemies constantly sought to trap him with his words and plotted to take his life. One of his own disciples deceived him by selling him to the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver. The chief priests then looked for false deceitful testimony so that they could put him to death. Pilate knew that he was innocent but still handed him over to be crucified. But God delivered Jesus by raising him from the dead and used their deceptive and oppressive schemes to fulfill his Purposes and promises. And he did it to fulfill those purposes and promises perfectly. Think about what Peter said to the men of Israel in Acts chapter 2. Looking back on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You know what Peter's essentially saying? Your deceptive and oppressive schemes to crucify the Son of God were used by God to fulfill his plan to send a Savior to rescue mankind from sin. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it is not possible for death to hold Jesus Christ. Friends, when Jesus rose from the dead, He rose in power and with that power, he shattered the deceptive and oppressive rule of Satan in our lives. You think about what Paul says in Colossians looking back on the death of Christ. Paul says in Colossians that through Jesus' death on the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame like not getting one over on me. You can try to deceive and oppress God and his people all that you want, but it will, oh, it will end up in your open shame, triumphed over them in Christ. On the cross and in the resurrection, God delivered his people from Satan's deceptive and oppressive rule through the atoning sacrifice and indestructible life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though we've ultimately been delivered from Satan's deceptive and oppressive schemes, friends, the reality is on this side of heaven, we're still engaged in the battle. Right? Jesus himself promises that those who follow him will share in his suffering. Suffering that includes deception and opposition, from the people around us, right? Jesus's life and experiences serve as a pattern for ours. I wonder if you've noticed the eerily similar events that have taken place in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as we've been studying Genesis. I mean, you can think about some of these eerie similarities. After God calls them, They travel similar routes through the promised land. They all travel and stop at places like Shechem, the Oaks of Mamre, Bethel, and Ai. They all build altars and worship God. There are chance meetings of future wives at wells. There are struggles with pregnancy. There are feuds among children. There are face-offs with opponents from outside the promised land. You, You start wondering, am I crazy? Is Isaac experienced the same thing that Abraham experienced? Is Jacob experiencing the same thing that Isaac experienced? Uh, Among other things, what these similarities teach us is that there is a general pattern to the life of faith. There are roads that we all seem to walk. Though the specifics might change, the general contours look the same. And these patterns are ultimately, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, whose life and experience has become a pattern for his followers. He says to his disciples, be prepared to experience what I experienced. Be ready to take up your cross and follow me. Just as I experienced deceptive and oppressive schemes, so will you too in different ways. We need to recognize that these deceptive and oppressive schemes appear in all sorts of different ways in life. It may look like enduring open hostility and persecution from neighbors. Yeah, I recognize that that's not the experience of most Christians in America today, but we need to remember as Christians who are part of a larger body that spans the globe that there are Christians around the globe today who live this out on a daily basis, who in other countries experience hostility from their family, from their neighbors, from the surrounding community because they claim the name of Christ. Their services are raided by the government, they are thrown in jail. Carrie Fulmer shared about the man last week, two weeks ago, about, uh, who was sharing the gospel and was taken, taken uh, into custody by the, 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 authority, the local authorities. These things happen in other places around the world. And we also need to be prepared for the fact. That this may happen in our country at some point in the future. It may look like enduring open hostility and persecution from neighbors, right? There are Christians meeting today who are worried about the government raiding their gatherings or tapping their phone lines and listening to their conversations, who are worried about being jailed or killed for their faith. But it also may look like a Laban in your life. Right? Somebody who just seems to constantly present hurdles and obstacles to the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Someone who is a hindrance to your faith and your perseverance. Anyone who causes you to doubt that God is good. To doubt that God is with you. Or to doubt that God can fulfill his promises in your life. And since we'll all eventually face these types of people and these types of situations, we need to prepare ourselves for facing them. And so with the rest of the time that we have left, I want us to consider three things we learn, or two, excuse me, two things we learn from this passage that will help us to endure Satan's deceptive and oppressive schemes. The first lesson we learn from this passage is, surprise, surprise, to trust God's promises. You might be getting to the point where you're like, again, John, like this has been the application for like 20 straight sermons now, but it's the application for like 20 sermons in a row because that has been the basic storyline of Genesis so far since God called Abraham. It has been about the trustworthiness of God's promises. Nothing will stand in the way of God keeping his promises to his people. Every chapter in some way shows how God is being true to keep his promises he made to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring, right? Remember how God promised that all the nations would be blessed in Abraham and through his offspring, and here you have Laban, a member of the nation of Haran, outside of God's chosen people, experiencing blessing because of his relationship with Jacob, Abraham's offspring. Laban himself says in verse 27, the Lord has blessed me because of you. But God also promised to curse those who curse his people. And what do we see here? That Laban who deceived Jacob multiple times, who changed his wages 10 times, who has essentially cursed Jacob here, loses the vast majority of his wealth as his flocks decrease while Jacob's increase. God always keeps his promises. God promised to be with Jacob and keep him. And we see him keeping that promise throughout this passage. Jacob says in chapter 31, verse five, the God of my father has been with me. He promised it in 28, he's keeping it in 31. In verse 7, he says, God did not permit Laban to harm me. Time and time again, we see God keeping his promises. Friends, what is the takeaway for you today? You can trust his promises. You can trust every single Promise God has made to you from the big glorious ones to the smaller, smaller obscure ones. He will keep all of his promises to his people. As you encounter, endure, and experience the deceptive and oppressive schemes of the evil one, you need to arm yourself with God's promises. Think of some of the promises Jesus makes to his people in the New Testament. I will lose none of those the Father has given You might be sitting here thinking, like, you look around, you're like, Man, that person's got stronger faith than me. They've got stronger faith than me. I'm so weak. I stumbled and I fell this past week. Surely Jesus might lose one and it's going to be me. Jesus says, no, I will lose none. None of those the Father has given me. Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world surely I am going to be overcome by the troubles I am facing. Surely the opposition, opposition I'm enduring and the, the family who doesn't want anything to do with me or the coworkers who seem to stomach this type of opposition will eventually overcome me. Jesus said, no, I have overcome the world. By faith you are in me, which means you have overcome the world. You are a victor in Christ. Jesus says that he is with us in the valley he is with us in the fire. He is with us in the flood. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Surely war or famine or nakedness or loss of job or loss of money or something else might separate me. No, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Just look at how God has been with Jacob for 20 years in the midst of real trials. That he, he was enduring heat by day sleeping at night in the freezing cold of the desert, wages changing, real trials that he's enduring, painful trials, nothing is separating him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is with them the whole way. Those promises in the New Testament and in the Old Testament through faith in Jesus Christ are yours. You cling to them. That's why we sing Christ the sure and steady anchor Right in the tempest of the storm, I don't even know if I'm getting the words right, but the the general gist of the song is what: life is rough. Hold on to Jesus; He's an anchor. Friends, Christ is present in His promises. You hold fast to those promises. You're holding fast to Christ. You may be tossed to and fro, but the rock ain't moving. Hold fast to Jesus Christ and to His promises, and you'll need those promises to sustain you in the battle. Right. To not have God's promises present with us in the midst of enduring opposition from the evil one is like going into battle with an empty clip. Like nobody, nobody goes into battle with an empty weapon, with no, no ammo in their weapon. You need to arm yourselves with God's promises. How are you doing? Arming yourself with the promises of God, with Jesus's promises to his people. Obviously, one of the main ways that we do that is by reading the Word, right, regularly being in Scripture and saturating our minds and hearts with God's promises to us. And, and I know it's, it's more, I would say, it's been more and more popular for a while with the advent of social media and things like Instagram for, like, people to take a, a great picture of their cup of coffee with their Bible next to it. I've actually done it. Right, So I'm, I'm calling out myself here. It's like this is an awesome setting. I'm sitting down with my cup of coffee and my blanket. I've got my Bible here, and God's promises are present with me. And they are, right? But the promises of God are not made for cozy mornings on the couch with your blanket and your coffee. They are made for war. When you are in the midst of battle and you are clinging with a white-knuckle grip to God, you are holding fast to his promises, So by all means, use that cozy morning on the couch and that hot cup of coffee to saturate your mind with God's promises and Christ's promises to his people. But know that you are then taking those out into the midst of battle. We also saturate our minds and our hearts by listening to God's promises in song. What we were doing this morning was singing God's promises to ourselves in the midst of our songs. Whether it's listening to hymns, Using the music playlist that Angela created on Spotify so you can prepare your hearts for worship by singing the songs that we're going to sing on Sundays, we can fill our minds by singing God's promises. And we can also arm ourselves with God's promises by living in community with other Christians. It's a a necessary thing in the Christian life to live in community if you want to be encouraged and held, held fast by God's promises. Because there are times in life where you're going to face trials and you're just overcome. And it is too much for you. And you're going to need other Christians around you. You're like, hey, I need you to just remind me of what is true. Tell me what is true. So you need other Christians around you holding up your arms in the midst of that battle. If you want to arm yourselves with the promises of God, you need to do so in the midst of Christian community. It's one of the things that we are doing here today is we are reminding one another of the promises of God. In Christ Jesus, we're reminding one another that glory is coming. This life is not all that there is. The shadow is passing. The valley of the, 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 the shadow of death will end. We are going to come up into a beautiful and glorious place, friends, and that day is coming soon. And kids, this is hugely important for you all. One of the things that we're doing here when we gather each week is reminding ourselves of those promises to us, filling up on them so that we can go be strengthened for the week ahead. So I want to I encourage you when you're listening to the songs or singing the songs or listening to the sermons, one of the things that you want to pay careful attention to are God's promises. So I want you to imagine with me, kids, that you're walking down the sidewalk and you see on the sidewalk as you're walking, $100 bills laying on the ground. And you look and you're like, oh my gosh, there are $100 bills uh, all the way up this sidewalk. Would you just ignore them and walk past them or would you pick them up? You can shout it out. Pick them up, of course you're gonna pick them up because of how valuable they are. When you're at church, it, it might be easy to check out and to just walk by these glorious and valuable promises of God that are just coming at you kind of in a steady stream through the service, but I wanna encourage you to lock in and to focus and try to listen as much as you can and to pick up those glorious and valuable promises that God has made to us in Christ. And one of those promises that he has made to all, whether you're a child or an adult, if you don't know Jesus, God has promised to turn away nobody who comes to him in faith. It doesn't matter what you've done, what sins you've committed, how bad you've been, how, how bad you think you might've been. God will forgive anyone who turns in faith and repentance towards his son, Jesus Christ. And that promise is good from now until the day that you die. You can, you can accept God and turn to him through faith in his son, Jesus, today and know that your sins will be forgiven. In the midst of deceptive and oppressive schemes, we should remember and trust God's promises. The second thing, Uh, And more briefly, we should also take comfort in God's protection. You can't miss how clearly God protects Jacob in this passage. In verse 24 of 31, when Laban was hotly pursuing Jacob to do him harm, God stopped him. In verse 29, Laban basically says, I was going to harm you, but God stopped me. Verse 42, Jacob says, if God had not been on my side and protected me, I'd have nothing at all. God saw my affliction and rebuked you. Friends, we can take comfort in the fact that God protects us in the midst of the battle. He is a sun and a shield. He is a refuge and a fortress, a strong tower in times of trouble. But we also need to remind ourselves that that does not mean that God won't allow bad things to happen to us. It doesn't mean that he won't allow us to experience deception, oppression, and opposition. Right. Jacob experienced 20 years of hardship at Laban's hands. He was deceived multiple times. His wages were changed 10 different times. The heat consumed him by day, the cold by night. Sleep fled from his eyes for 20 years. What it does mean, though, is that God will preserve and protect us through the battle and through the storm. Right. He, he will use the opposition we face to bring about his ultimate purposes, which is why we don't need to fear satanic deception or opposition that's why we don't need to fear people like laban in our lives who seemingly stand in the way of god's promises to us god is able to protect us and preserve us through every single trial we face and i know that's that may be hard if you're in the midst of trials and in the midst of suffering but i just want to encourage you to remember that you know how the story ends if right, you've ever been watching a, a scary or an intense movie with somebody, you've seen it before, but they haven't. This happens sometimes with my wife, Leah. She, she is happy for me to admit she struggles to watch intense movies and shows and things like that. She picks up her phone. As soon as she starts scrolling, I know this is too intense for her, but she'll often ask me, just tell me what happens. Just let me know that the person's okay in the end. If you've ever watched a show where they haven't seen the show and you have seen it, right? you have a different response to the show or movie than they have. You're not like gripping your seat, waiting, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen. You know what's coming, so you're just chilling. Like, this is funny. I was like that too when I watched this for the first time. Right, friends? You know the ending. You know how the story ends. God will protect and preserve you in the midst of every storm, in every trial, and every battle. You know how your story ends. It ends with you in glory. And no deceit. No deception, no opposition will follow you into glory. Isn't it interesting? Kind of central thread running through this chapter is that God tells Jacob, return to the land. He's given him the children. He's increased him abundantly. And now the promise is awaiting for him to return to the land. And what does he do? He gets up and he returns to the land, being hotly pursued by Laban. They have their interaction and then they make a covenant. And what is the essence of the covenant? You, Laban, will not pass over that stone and I will not pass over to you. I am now in the land that God has promised me and nobody will come into this land to harm me, nor will I go to you. But from the day is coming when Jesus Christ returns according to his promise to return and he will gather his people and he will take us to be with him. He will bring us into the promised land where there will be, no deception, no opposition, no sorrow, no sin, because that line of de- demarcation will not be crossed over ever again by those who seek to do us harm. God can and will deliver his people from all opposition. And you can bet your life on that promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you by the Spirit of your Son, and we pray that you would encourage us with the truth that we heard this morning, that we might be steadfast, immovable, unshakable as our feet are firmly planted on the rock of Christ. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that he would come soon and very soon. And all God's people said, amen.